0: Boy, after that music and the thoughts of heaven, I'm so excited. It just so happens the title of the message is A Glimpse of Heaven. I'm looking forward to it. But I'm sensitive to the fact that there are at least several different kinds of people this morning who have different thoughts of heaven. Some of you are very excited at this subject. Others of you are are glad about the idea, but you don't understand the excitement of maybe the person next to you. And then there is another group who has heard of heaven but is maybe not sure that they believe that there's a heaven. And I really feel for the latter group, and I would like to show you why you should, but at least let me say this before I uh, begin. So in college, I studied exercise physiology and nutrition. We read a lot of studies and even did some exercise testing. And as you know, there are hundreds or maybe a thousand diets listed with the FDA, and there are all kinds of supplements that are available today. And we were taught uh, to be careful with that. You know, who do you believe? How do you know it's true, right? And so we were taught things like, well, what's the source? Who's making this claim? Are they qualified? Do they have a biased opinion, maybe? I remember reading some studies where... <clears throat> They have to put it in there, too, where the notation says, oh, the funding for the study was provided by XXX Corporation, who has a vested interest in seeing the results of that study come out a certain way, right? Little influence going on there, right? And so right away, you're on your guard. Red flag goes up, right? Okay. We are always trying to take a position as a seeker of the truth. We want to understand You know, is this real or is it not real? When it comes to heaven, the Bible is actually very clear about heaven, although it doesn't describe it a lot, because as you will see, heaven is fairly indescribable. But Jesus spoke about heaven as well. And I'll tell you this in, in short. The Bible has been the most attacked book of all time, but no one has disproved it yet. And everybody knows the character of Jesus very well and has for centuries. And nobody can call him a liar. Nobody thinks he's crazy or mistaken. So when he talks about it, you can believe him. So we've got our source document and we've got our witness. And as far as asking, do we have a good source document and a qualified judge? The answer is yes. Because since none of us have been to heaven... We've got to go to a source who has, if that's possible, right? Okay. <clears throat> the Bible says Jesus would come to earth. It talks about it in Genesis chapter 3. It talks about it a whole lot more through the whole Old Testament. But in fact, as we all know, the Christmas story, he does come, doesn't he? All right? He came from heaven is what it says. And it says when he went back, he went back to heaven, And it says that when he comes again, and it does say he's coming again, as Randy alluded to this morning, he's going to take those with him who want to come. You can count on it. So it's commonly said that Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. He spoke a lot about what hell is like. Actually, he did mention heaven quite a bit. Uh, but not so much as what it was like, but that the fact he spoke of it is that it, like it, actually existed. Okay, and fortunately, he told us how to go there. That was the most important thing. So, in John fourteen, verses two through four, he made a direct reference about heaven when he was comforting the disciples, and he said, "In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you." I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. With those words, Jesus revealed, yeah, there's a heaven. It's a real place. It's a dwelling place of God. Nineteen times Jesus made reference to God. God the Father dwelling in heaven. I'm going to read a few of these to you. Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5.45, That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Matthew 5.48, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew six one, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven. Just a couple more. Matthew six nine In this manner, therefore, ye pray, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Matthew seven eleven. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in Heaven give good things to those who ask Him. I've got no time to quote the rest, but I asked Ed to list them just for your uh, uh, edification. You just see how many more verses there are. Okay, so Jesus spoke of heaven like it's a real place. No reason to doubt it. No reason to interpret it any other way than that's that's exactly what He meant. The next five verses I'm going to read. He gives us a clue about what heaven is like. Matthew five twelve. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Matthew six nineteen and twenty, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Luke six twenty three, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. And Luke fifteen seven, I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 just persons who need no repentance. Without studying those verses in too great detail, we can easily conclude that heaven is a place of joy, a place of reward, and a place of great value. What do people normally think about heaven? It's not talked about a lot, is it? Well, the truth is, is we really don't think much about heaven until we attend a funeral. Isn't that true? You would think that if heaven was such a great place that a lot of people were looking forward to, they would talk about it a lot more, kind of like they talk about the vacations they're going to take, right? But they don't. People stand at grave sites and say, "Ah, now they're in a better place. But if you were to ask them about that place, they could not tell you much. They would not venture further except to say something like, well, now they won't be suffering anymore. Outside of the funeral, if you were to ask somebody about heaven, they would say things like, well, yeah, I want to go to heaven because I want to see some family and friends who've died, and I've got a pet that I used to love, and I want to see that pet as well. Really? Really? Is that all there is? Does not sound much like what Jesus said, huh? And then here's the other common belief about heaven, that all roads lead to God, meaning all people go to heaven. Really. I'm not getting political, but I can't resist bringing this up. So you look at our country today or even look at the world and see how polarized people are about the issues, right? How angry they are. Somehow if I go out and take a poll right now, I don't think all people believe that all people are going to heaven. Do you? No. And so those proponents of this theology that all people go to heaven, they seem to be strangely silent right now. Actually, if the truth be known, in Matthew seven thirteen and 14, Jesus says something very key about heaven that's pretty important that ought to make us sit up and take notice. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. And then this is the key part of this verse. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And what? few are those who choose it. No, the, the people who believe that all people are going to heaven are in direct opposition to the one who knows. And he says just the opposite, that they do. <clears throat> and we have one famous person who pushed for no heaven at all. And he wrote one of the most popular songs that's ever been written. Imagine there's no Heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. He says it's easy to imagine there's no heaven, maybe because you can't see it, and no hell either. What you do today does not affect anything after you die. Just live for today, that's it. And he says, imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. That sounds nice, huh? Not hard to imagine countries. That thought is becoming prevalent today. Where people are thinking globally, you know, we're all one big family on this one big planet, right? And if we're all one country, then there's no need to live or die for your country because there's nobody to fight, right? That sounds good. No religions, too. Sad to say, religion over the centuries has been, re- been responsible for many deaths, hasn't it? Then he goes on to say, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. We all become dreamers. Do all dreams come true? Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. That sounds good, doesn't it? All people being taken care of. No one's poor. No one's hungry. There are no divisions or separations. With technology today, the whole world is becoming connected and people are thinking globally, aren't they? There's worldwide concern over global warming and efforts to make worldwide changes. There's global movement against racism and violence. There are many who, and for quite a while now, have been trying to visualize world peace. In general, you could say that there's a great desire to fix all the problems, isn't there? Wouldn't that be nice? Imagine if we could. What would it look like? Imagine if we could somehow take all the food and water resources and divide it equally amongst all the people so nobody would be hungry. Imagine if we could take all the clothing that's available and divide it amongst the people so everybody would have clothes. And, and not just barely enough clothes, but enough to make it to the next laundry day. Imagine everyone having a home to live in, and not just a small, dirty, rough dwelling. A place packed amongst hundreds of others, but a suitable place in their own country with lots of space and clean area for kids to run and play. That sounds good, doesn't it? Imagine if we could stop the racism, the violence, the crime. What else would we want? Can't stop there. How about no more wars? Wouldn't that be good? All countries would disarm and armies disband and all resources could be used for the production of the food, right? Get rid of all pollution. Everyone has fresh air to breathe. All schools would be the same because all neighborhoods would be the same. All would get an education to the highest level they desired. Streets would be safe and people would not be worrying about strangers or their neighbors. What are we trying to do here? Achieve heaven on earth, isn't it? Isn't that what we're trying to do? Is that possible? People want it. I have friends who say, no more war. Really, how are you going to stop that? Because since we were little, we were always wanting to take something from somebody else that didn't belong to us. And it doesn't change when we become older and powerful, does it? You well, there's great difficulty in stopping these things. If you think about it, in order to divide the resources equally, some would have to have less for others to have more. Think that's going to be easy? And having more, most would want even more, right? Can we make everyone equally rich? Does anybody see a problem with trying to make that happen? And how do you stop racism? You know, the answer always comes out, more education, but there are simply people out there who do not care about the knowledge you want to impart to them. It doesn't change their mind. What do we do about them? And where are we going to find a government that could rule the whole world so well and keep the peace? When we have differences in morality and justice, and we have different religious beliefs, what about all of that? Some people say all religions are the same. (laughs) There are religions diametrically opposed who want to kill each other. You're not going to, you're not going to fix that. They can't coexist. So this song alludes to the fact, well, maybe we just get rid of religion, but how are you going to do that? You have very religious people in this world. And don't forget as we try to get rid of all the problems that there are some things we can't stop. There are some diseases we cannot cure. We cannot stop things like autism and mental retardation of other forms. And here's the worst part. What if you could conceive of some kind of nirvana as people go after? Wouldn't that make death even more difficult to accept? What would you now say at the grave sites? Because if you get rid of heaven and hell, you get rid of God too. So where is the hope? All of history, man has tried to get rid of problems and and and. A lot of it's been through improving technology, but as you know, these improvements in technology always bring more problems that we didn't think of, huh? Think of the internet. Making heaven on earth has failed. And the real tragedy is, is that there's a real heaven to go to after this mess, but a lot of people just decided they don't believe it. In the heart of man is a strong desire for a perfect world. He spends most of his working hours trying to get rid of problems and work through them. Ask yourself this question, where does this desire for perfection come from in such an imperfect world? So if you're a skeptic, walk with me on this, okay? If there is a God and he wanted to create a people that he could love and take care of, what would this God do? wouldn't he make a Garden of Eden-like place for them? You think of it, when you want to show love to someone, don't we do all we can, even go overboard to show the love, right? In making this place, there would be beauty, colors, aromas, textures, variety, flavors, complexity. In doing that, In a great way, you show the love by the efforts you're going through to make incredible things, aren't you? Did you know there are over 400,000 types of flowering plants? Have you ever seen an ugly flower before? There would be order and symmetry, not chaos and useless abstraction. When I, my daughter Hannah is here today, by the way, when I used to, when we used to read Genesis together, we would talk about how the sky was blue and the dirt was brown and how awful it would be if the sky was brown and the earth was, the dirt was blue. (laughs) And did you know that blue happens to be the easiest color for your eyes to look at? How about that? This God, if he was really there, would give his people purpose and want to spend time with them, wouldn't he? And they would know the joy and the peace and the love that comes from knowing him. But what if this God knew that eventually these people would turn on him and ruin what it is he made? But this God wanted to eventually save those people from what they had done. What else could he do? Ah, there's so much to talk about, but let me just touch a little bit. You would not just put a few stars in the sky, would you? You would arrange those stars, as a matter of fact, in the sky so well that when this creature of yours would make ships and want to travel the oceans they could use the stars to navigate by. And knowing that one day they would question your very existence, you make so many stars and galaxies that they cannot find the end. You would create the body they live in and many other things like water with such complexity that they'd have to conclude it couldn't happen by accident. They would discover the planet tilted at just the right angle so it would have seasons they could count on every year for thousands of years. And if they observed, if they were observant, they would see that there's an infinite and creative designer who had a measurable power and deep love by what they experiences, experienced with the senses that this God made them. And in life, they would experience great highs and deep lows. And they would greatly desire that the highs would be all the time. Ah, desire for perfection. Romans 1, 19 and 20. Where does this desire for perfection come from? Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. This desire for perfection comes from God. No surprise. Man tries to fix a world that still has the signs of perfection in it. It still has the fingerprint of God all over it, even within himself. God is here and He really does care. Man should be looking for Him, this perfect Creator. Imagine there is no heaven and you will leave people without hope. But I'm here to tell you there is a God and He is not silent. The heavens declare His glory every day without fail. He says there is a heaven, so there is a hope. There is just one little problem. If heaven is as wonderful as people think it is, it creates a difficulty for us because if you think about it, if you own such a place, why would you let people in there? It wouldn't be heaven anymore if you did, right? We would try to make it like earth (laughs) because it's all we know. We're not like him. We don't belong there, and if there were some of us, some of us if were honest today, you would, you really don't have any interest in going to heaven. We don't fit in. We make fun of people who praise God and joke about hell. So it's really ironic that we get so angry that we cannot make this world perfect. In fact, we can't even make our own little slice of our world perfect, but we reject heaven when it's offered to us through Jesus Christ. You cannot find people in a more sorry state, can you? Ah, What's man really missing out on? Let's talk about heaven. This is my favorite part of the message. (laughs) Let's talk about heaven and try to imagine what it's going to be like to be there. And since it's real, it's not going to be just a figment of our imagination. And as we go through, though, I want you to think about what man has tried to do to make heaven on earth and compare it to what, earth, what heaven is really like. Okay? So the Bible teaches in First Timothy 6.16 that God dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Unapproachable light. In First 1 Corinthians 13.12 it says, But when God reveals himself to us in heaven, we will see him face to face what would it be like to enter that place? What would it be like to see him? And this is something I've always believed, and I don't know how the Lord will do it, but I'm convinced that since he saved each one of us personally, that he will personally greet us when we go to heaven. I can't think of any other, it would happen any other way, and I don't think he'd settle for anything less, do you? Okay, so let's imagine based on what we know to be true. I walk through the gates of heaven, and what happens first? I am totally stunned by the glory and the majesty of the place, okay? I probably would stand there just gawking at the beauty and the splendor, trying to take it all in. It's nothing like I've ever seen before, and I can't compare it to anything I know. The sight is so incredible that if I went back to earth at that moment, it would be all I could talk about until the day I died. I don't know how long I would stand there staring, but, so, but I would soon notice someone coming toward me. It's him. He's actually coming towards me. I've never seen him before, but I know it's him. The beauty of his perfection is so bright, it has to be him. I'm finally going to see God and walk with him. A million things go through my mind all at once. I realize right away, I am never going to have a bad day again. I am never even going to have a mediocre day again. (laughs) In my new body, I am conscious that I will never sin again. There's no evil in me whatsoever. It's foreign to me now. And I know that all my thoughts and all my words now are going to be pure and wonderful. All through eternity. I will never be sad again. I will never cry in grief or pain again. It will be as if I had never had pain ever before. But I will still be grateful for having been delivered from it. Isaiah 25.8 says, He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all the faces, and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Revelation 21 verse 4, and watch how he repeats this, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer, no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Revelation 21 5, and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new new that will never get old. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Revelation 21, verses 22 through 25. I saw no temple in it, referring to heaven, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and the lamp is the Lamb the nations will walk by its light and the king of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never close. You close gates for security, don't you? There is no need anymore. The sense of security is absolute there. Not only will there be absolutely nothing to worry about, you won't be able to worry. It's not that you just won't want to. You can't. All is taken care of, and you realize it the moment you get there. Food, clothing, shelter, no longer necessities that you have to be concerned with ever. No one goes without. It isn't that everyone has just enough to get by, and there are no socioeconomic levels there. Everyone has more than they know. Everyone is rich beyond their understanding but material possessions are not important you are just simply aware that you have no need your cup overflows continuously the fellowship between the people is absolutely wonderful Every person is full of joy and peace and love. There is no racism, no fighting, no jealousy, and no anger ever again. It is as if everyone sees every person as being of the greatest value, and they cannot imagine living without them. There are no cliques, no divisions, no separations of any kind. These no more start stacking up in your mind. There's no more disappointment with anything ever. No more angry yelling, no sarcasm, bitterness, or bullying. No more fear of any kind. No more failure, mistakes, not even a small oops. No more performance or competition. No one's better than anybody else. All are equal and at peace with no desire to outdo anybody for any reason. By the way, the Bible says this in Revelation 7, 9. He saw a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. There will be people there from every tribe and every tongue, and there will be true peace. This world only knows a cessation of war. There never is real peace, even though that's what you see in the paper. Not so in heaven. Absolute, permanent peace. It will be as if everybody is somehow your best friend, if that were possible. You will have all of that in the most fantastic of surroundings. It's a place of spectacular beauty and wonder. There is not a flaw in anything, anywhere. There's not even a scrap of liver litter on the ground, and there never will be. It seems better than paradise. And somehow you realize that, you know, it's the relationships between the people and the God that's there that really makes all the difference. If on earth during your life you had tried to imagine the most perfect place, you could not have imagined that it would be this great And then you remember that you are here because someone paid an infinite cost for you to be here and he did it because he wanted you to be there. He wanted you to be there more than you wanted to be there. And he's coming towards you. He's coming towards you as all these things have flashed through your mind and he gets closer and you don't know what to do. You are struck by the wonder of his appearance. His perfection and his majesty are far beyond what you had imagined. His greatness seems indescribable to to you, but you're not afraid. You want to fall on your face and praise him because of this, and it seems right, but you cannot stop looking either. You want to shout with joy and proclaim his greatness, but you're speechless at the same time thinking that it would be proper to bow before him, your eyes start to look down. And then you see them. The scars on his feet. The scars from the nail prints. And you are overcome. You cannot help it now, though, and you have to see his hands, so you begin to look up a little, and yes, there they are- the nail prints in his hands, and you remember he has chosen to wear these scars for all eternity, and you know right away you'll never get tired of looking at him. You would shed tears when you realize the pain you caused him, but the joy of his presence won't allow grief. You cannot help yourself as now, as you look further up and you see his smile, and it's big, and it's the most welcoming smile beaming with joy at your presence. Without any words, you know he is so glad to see you. You have never felt so accepted in all of your existence. You slowly look up more into his eyes, and in an instant, you melt with the pure joy, the love he has for you coming through his eyes. And you know, and and he, he has, I'm sorry, I'm getting lost here. <laughs> you melt with pure joy as the love he has for you and joy he has now that you are with him is so evident in his eyes that words are not necessary. But he speaks. And the voice is the most wonderful, melodious voice you have ever heard before, and there's nothing like it, but somehow it's familiar to you. His words reach deep into your soul as you hear him say, Welcome, my child. Welcome home. I am overjoyed that you are finally here. I have waited a long time for this and now it has finally happened. I could not be happier and you could not be more welcome. I have so much in store for you. We have so much to talk about. I have so much to tell you. And he hugs you. And his hug is wonderful. You never felt love and warmth like this. It's supernatural. You could not feel more loved and more accepted. You could hug him for a thousand years, and maybe you do, because there is no time in heaven. Nobody cares. We're not rushing to get someplace. In the world... All good things have to come to an end here, don't they? Not so in heaven. The joy and the wonder there does not end. You are never disappointed. So after a thousand years, maybe, you begin to walk with him towards the celestial city. And although he said you both had a lot to talk about, all you want to do is listen to him. And you wonder at yourself for not having done it more when you were on earth. His words are full of grace and truth. His presence is beyond charismatic and you can't imagine ever leaving his side. There will never be a dull moment around him. You think of 1 Corinthians 13 on love and Galatians 5 on the fruit of the Spirit and you realize you're experiencing them to their fullest in every word he says. Then he says to you, I know you were discouraged a lot and felt like you were not effective for me. There are so many things I could not tell you at the time because it was so important that you learn to trust me. But I have some real surprises for you. Wait until you see who is here and what I was able to do with your testimony and your obedience to me. The timing is perfect because I see him. He's coming towards me. A guy I tried to talk to about Jesus It went so terribly wrong and I I thought all was lost. The last time I saw him, he was cussing up a storm at me. But he's coming toward me now and the Lord nudges me towards him. And there are tears streaming down his face. This is not grief, you know. And he hugs me and we hug, I don't know, maybe a hundred years. As he continuously thanks me for obeying the Lord and taking all the persecution that he had done to me. And this thought comes to my mind, a question often asked, why does God save us and leave us in this world with so much to endure and so much pain? But the answer comes quickly. It was for others. And so I could experience the fellowship of his sufferings. And in doing so, heaven has become so much more meaningful. My only thought is that I wish I had done more. He tells you that you'll be thrilled to see how he's used all things for your good. You will recall how he brought good out of bad situations when you were here on earth. But now he shows you even more and you realize that you didn't know the half of what he did. You were so limited in what you knew he was doing. And now you see that you're far more limited than you knew because he did far more than you could possibly conceive. You thought. You had worked so hard in certain situations and you realized that not only was he sustaining you, but he was doing far more. You realize he is so much greater than you ever thought. And he's going to reward you. He's so much more wonderful than you ever thought. His care and his desire for people is just way off the charts. And now you get to be with this one for all eternity. It would all be too much for you, and you wouldn't be able to stand it except he's given you a body that can enjoy everything to the fullest. And you think, I cannot be thankful enough. I cannot. You think there's going to be so much to see and do in heaven, but you would be content if all you had to do all eternity was just sit before him and thank him for what he's done. Then the thankfulness just explodes exponentially because as you see how pure and how good he is, how absolutely wonderful he is, you cannot imagine such a one having gone through such pain for you so that you could be there with him. The gratefulness gratefulness then explodes and you feel overwhelmed. But again, in heaven, you get to experience the fullness of it. But if it were possible, you would just faint and fall down from an exhaustion trying to take it all in. He's so incredible, and you hang on every word, and you cannot take your eyes off of him. Revelation 22, 1 through 4, Then he showed me a river of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, there will be no longer there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God of the and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him, for they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Do you see it? He's gonna treat you as if you are the special one. The day you got saved and came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, eternity started for you. Do you realize that? Do you realize that death now is only a doorway to his presence? Walk with him now. Talk with him now. And then walk right into eternity and see his face. I, I want to uh, risk taking a couple more minutes and, and tell you something in the last year or so. In in my time with the Lord, one of the things that I've been trying to do is to try to remember to talk to him all day, to be connected with him all day. And it always starts out with the morning time for me. It doesn't have to be the morning of my time with him and in his word. And a little while ago, I started to get these little yellow flags. They're kind of like Post-it notes, and you put them on a page in a book, you know, so that you you remember where you were. I started to flag the pages that became significant times with him. You probably can't all see this, but my book is getting full of flags. Almost every day, the Lord is speaking profoundly to me, and I just couldn't be happier. And I encourage you the same, that this is the God we will go see. This is what heaven is about. It's not about long-lost pets and grandmas. It's about the Lord himself. Walk with him. God bless you all.